0: Who, in the Democratic Party,
1: who want to defund the police? That was the question. The answer? Are there people in the Republican Party who think we're sucking the blood out of kids? Good one, Joe. Good one.
0: Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I got the feeling that something right. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs to the right
1: Here am From Pacifica Radio, this is The broadcast As heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in Los Angeles Elsewhere in California on KFOI, Red Bluff Redding KKRN, Round Mountain, KGOE, Eureka in Oregon on KYAQ on the Central Coast, KSO on Cottage Grove, KEPW in Eugene. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania, WLRI. Maui, Hawaii, KAKU, Columbus, Ohio, WGRN. Palinville, New York, WLPP, Rochester, New York, WRFZ. New Orleans, WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico, KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire, WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas, KPSQ, Seattle, Washington, KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin, WADR, Minneapolis, St. Paul, AM 950, KTNF. And coast to coast and around the globe, streaming on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, Nicole Sandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, and Detour Talk. Blanketing the globe five days a week, usually hosted by Brad Friedman of bradblog.com with an assist from Desi Doyen. But today, once again, you got me. I'm Nicole Sandler. I host the Nicole Sandler Show based at NicoleSandler.com. And I'm coming to the rescue today because Brad's computer has melted down. And I know what that's like. I have sympathy. Today on the Bradcast, I'm sharing with you an interview from last week with author, journalist, and copyright and antitrust activist Corey Doctorow. If you're not familiar with Cory Doctorow, you should be. He's published a slew of books that cross categories. He's a prolific science fiction author. He's written a bunch of young adult novels and a number of nonfiction books dealing with today's topic and more. You can get info on his books at craphound.com. Cory also blogs daily at pluralistic.net, or you can subscribe to that same content in his daily Substack newsletter. And you can certainly follow Corey Doctorow on Twitter at Doctorow, D-O-C-T-O-R-O-W. So here's what happened. In the middle of June, I was fortunate enough to have Corey as a guest on my show for the very first time. As I typically do, I allotted 30 minutes for the interview. That wasn't enough. So at the end of the show, we immediately booked him for another appearance the following month and set aside the whole hour. Well, that happened last Monday. The interview followed President Biden's announcement made the previous Friday about a massive executive order to encourage competition and reduce the monopolies that are strangling the nation. But that wasn't the only example of fortuitous timing. During our first interview, Corey told us that there was significant antitrust legislation working its way through Congress. And indeed, it hit the news the following week. So I began our second interview by playing that clip from our first.
0: I know we're out of time, but I'll say that I happen to know that the Senate is about to drop five anti-monopoly bills, uh, regulating. Really?
1: Oh, well, that's uh,
0: huge. I I have read them and commented on them as have many allies. And I think they are by and large, very good bills. Uh, and they have bipartisan support. Wow. And so we are seeing movement for, uh, a reinvigorated mus- muscular antitrust that has not been seen in this country in a century. And it's a watershed moment. And, you know, if you're angry. OK, so fi- so
1: I could keep going, but I've got the real thing here. But so you said that. And sure enough, like t- two days later, the news broke that the House was actually going to yeah, mark uh, up these. I bills. was wrong. <laughs> I,
0: I just misspoke. It was the House. And there was a sixth bill yes? we didn't know about that came out at the same time. Six bills right. uh, all in the House. Yeah, it was quite a quite a moment.
1: So that happened, and that would have been enough. And then Friday morning, I wake up, and early in the morning, I get up early in the morning, and I do a newscast. It was the first time I had heard, I'm reading this, it's like today Joe Biden is going to sign an executive order, like working against monopolies and encouraging competition. It's like, where did this come from? And, oh, my God, what he put out there was uh, to, quote, joe biden when he was vice president a big fucking deal wasn't it (laughs) yeah yeah it was it was um it was remarkable and and, you know i've been
0: giving this a lot of thought because uh it's a rare moment in which the political class is actually out ahead of the constituency Mm. i mean we have a lot of issues like say you know universal health care where there's a really broad bipartisan consensus among voters that this is a thing we should have it's just not something that the political classes are willing to give us. In this case, I think what's happened that's remarkable is there are lots of people in the public who are angry about a monopoly. So they're angry about their healthcare insurer. They're angry about big tech. They're angry about their cable operator. They're angry about the restaurant chain that's their only employer that's bought all the other restaurant chains. You know, they're angry or, or, or Amazon, right? Uh-huh. So they're angry about these things. What they're not angry about is monopoly itself. And what's interesting is that lawmakers. On both sides of the aisle and in the House and in the Senate and in the White House, have named the problem like, and it's real actual political leadership. I and mean, this feels weird, right? I mean, it's not a thing we're used to, but it's actual political leadership. It's people who have a kind of bird's eye view of the common uh thing that runs through the current that runs through all of these different problems that people are having with their energy providers or with their banks or whatever and going oh wait a second it's i mean yeah it's a finance issue and it's an energy issue and whatever but but the reason it's a finance issue is that there's a monopoly there Uh and they're saying we should just like we should strike at this at the root yeah i mean we have to do something about the The epiphenomenon, you know, the way that it surfaces in your life, we need to do something about finance, we need to do something about logistics and whatever. But if we don't want to have to keep doing this, we need to, we need to actually go back to a more pluralistic, less corporate centered way of organizing
1: our national and global affairs. It's amazing. It is. And so the fact that I mean, on two fronts, this is happening. Um, And as far as I can tell, and I could be way wrong here, it doesn't seem like they were interconnected. It seemed like two separate things. I'm talking about the, 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 And you're you're looking. No, that maybe not. I don't
0: think so. Okay. I mean, you look at. So, first of all, I think um, the same campaign staffers and the same White House staffers are talking to the same administrative agency staffers and the same activists, uh-huh. right? I think that that uh, that there's it's not coordinated in the sense that there's a smoke filled room filled with <laughs> trustbusters who've who've launched it. Too but, bad. you know, when you look at the laws that, that were introduced, the bills that were introduced by uh, in the House, they put an enormous uh, a- emphasis on the FTC. Mm-hmm. A- and the FTC has been a sick and brutalized agency for a long time. It's been you know, it's had massive cuts it voluntarily at one point sat down and like voted to tie its own hands and not use most of its enforcement powers. Uh, it's done all kinds of stuff and it's just been demoralized. And And the, it's not, it wasn't like a great agency. And uh, the Biden administration put Lena Khan in charge of it. So first they put Lena Khan up for, for confirmation uh, as a commissioner. And that was a big deal because Khan is like three and a half years out of law school. Wow! She wrote this seminal paper in law school while she was at Yale called Amazon's Antitrust Paradox that diagnosed the entire, uh, you know, collapsing uh, ideology of like Reagan era antitrust enforcement that we've been living with for 40 years and explained how the world that we got to now is the result of it, articulated its problems and suggested its, its solution and launched, you know, sort of modern antitrust. So th- they make her a commissioner and then like the next day he's like, oh, and by the way, she's the chair. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, one of the bills that, that went through um, the Congress was like, we just got to give a lot more money to the FTC. And it wasn't just any FTC. It was Lena Kahn's FTC, you know. And, and, and so, you know, when you look at the Biden executive order, most of it is directing the FTC to do stuff. Right. So, you know, I don't want to be like a hero worshiper here or a cult of personality <laughs> person. Khan is incredibly important. She's definitely the right person at the right time in the right job. There are lots of people who are very uh, good here. Uh, you know, one of them, uh, Commissioner Chopra, is being yanked out of the FTC and put in charge of the Consumer Finance Protection Board. Right, but uh, but you know they have chosen someone who is like not a swamp dweller, who whose ideology is well understood, who has a record for like diagnosing problems and and suggesting like effective remedies. Who has who has this incredible credibility, and the programs in in the legislature and in the administration they're they're structured around. Her around, you know, personnel as policy around the she and the people who she surrounded herself with. I think it's uh, I, I, I think it's tactically very shrewd. Right. Like I, 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 as opposed to being like a conspiracy, I think it's just someone sat down and said, we have this incredible person that we can put in play. We have a sense of what her capabilities are. We have these other priorities, and she can be a linchpin for them. And you know, you see on the other side that there's like energy to get rid of her. So you know, a a traditional tactic if you don't like a bill is to propose another bill that purports to do the same thing and does nothing of the kind. So Mm -hmm. some Senate Republicans have introduced an antitrust bill that has no antitrust (laughs) in it. All it says is like Lena Khan can't do antitrust anymore. (laughs)
1: Like oh my god, the
0: DOJ and the FTC is out of is out of a job here. Uh, and, you know, Amazon, <laughs> this was really good. Amazon uh, said, um, we, Lena Kahn has previously said that she thinks Amazon is a monopolist. So she shouldn't be allowed to prosecute <laughs> Amazon for monopoly tactics, because she's biased, because she thinks we're a monopoly.
1: Oh my God! Now, now, Corey, they're still they're, as great. And Lena Khan, I, I've heard only amazing things about her. And people on the left, real progressives, are excited that she's yeah. in this role. But they're missing an important key player in this, right? Joe Biden still has not chosen or nominated um, anyone to be the Assistant Attorney General who head up the Antitrust Division of the Department of Justice. This is isn't this a big deal? Like, shouldn't somebody be in yeah. place, or at least in the in the queue to get confirmed?
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't pretend to be like a, a hill insider or anything, mm-hmm. but that feels like a big omission to me too. And you know, if we want to play Kremlinology here, like maybe it's it represents some kind of internal contest between party bosses and, um. and progressives about who can get there. But that's that's pure speculation. I mean, I, I've seen interesting stuff about like the ambassadorial appointments where like none of them are bundlers none of them are fundraisers they're just qualified people i mean some of them are people i disagree with but none of them are are like just some person who has a bunch of rich friends who threw a really big benefit dinner which you know that's that's pretty interesting too it's um it's a very technocratic way of governing which is to say it's like oriented around expertise and knowledge and Track records, as opposed to you know whose turn it is, right? Uh, that can be good or bad, depending on like the action. Like there are lots of people who have lots of technical knowledge who I think are just wrong, but they're not wrong because they're ignorant. They're wrong because <laughs> they're ideologically flawed. But but you know that that marks a really serious break from the politics of of say the Trump administration or even you know to to a large extent the Clinton administration. Uh-huh you know it's it's much less a, a swamp creature kind of thing and i think a lot of us looked at biden who frankly, I think his pitch for the nomination is, it's my turn. I'm not the best guy for the job, but it's my turn. <laughs> right. Uh, and thought that that would be his governance style. And weirdly enough, it's not.
1: Right. I Believe me, I've been shocked and pleasantly surprised. And again, I'm not going to agree with everything. But even if I were president, I wouldn't agree with everything I did because <laughs> things change. And sometimes, yeah. you know, that's politics. You have to You're compromise. A, you know,
0: prisoner of your circumstances.
1: Right. Exactly. Yeah. But uh, pleasantly surprised. Definitely. So let's start with the markups because this was like a 26-hour ah. marathon ah. session right um yeah it and was strange bedfellows too it was just a weird divide of the who was on board with it and who wasn't
0: yeah when you get like matt gates saying uh <laughs> i agree with pramila jayapal we really <laughs> need to make this happen it's something weird is going on yes um You know, one of the things that we we heard a lot from, I mean, I'm so I'm really interested in what the Democrats have to say about this, because it's clearly not a United Party on this. Uh, Zoe Lofgren, who has historically been very progressive, but is also from Silicon Valley and has gone back and forth on what she thinks of. She said a bunch of things that I didn't think were right in voicing her objections to some of these bills. She also said she also made some amendments that were proposed that were right on some of which were voted down. Uh, and, you know, yeah, i'm I'm interested in counting noses in the party. I'm also really interested in what the people on the other side are saying, because mm-hmm. there's this funny thing that's happening right now. You know, you've heard this stuff about conservative voices being censored on on uh, social media. This came up a lot in the markup. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you what, unpopular opinion, it's true, but it's not true that they're being censored because they're conservative. They're being censored as part of a long run, of platform censorship that includes censorship of anti-pipeline activists and Palestinian mm-hmm. activists
1: and Black Lives Matter
0: activists. The reality is that forbearance on mergers and predatory conduct has concentrated all the decision making about our public sphere into a few hands. And you know there are people who will say, oh, well, censorship is only state action, right? It's not private action. And there's like some formal sense in which that's true. But it's, it's really more of a, that's kind of a semantic game. Because for me, the most significant thing about uh, the relationship of the state to the censorship is that the state had the power At every juncture, as big tech was concentrating, as the web was being boiled down to like five giant websites filled with screenshots of text (laughs) from the other four, the state had had every opportunity to intervene and put the brakes on and say, Mm -hmm. no, you know, Mark Zuckerberg, you can't buy Instagram just because people hate Facebook and they're joining Instagram. But that's a reason not to let you buy Instagram, not a reason to let you buy Instagram. Uh, And instead, we just sat back. And we allowed these anti-competitive mergers to take place. And now what's happened is without any kind of state action to limit speech, we've arrived at a place where state inaction has created speech regimes that are being managed not by governments whom we could contest in democratic forums, right? Like imagine if there were government rules about what you could say on the internet. We could ask our lawmakers to change them. Uh And instead, those rules are just being made by the content moderation departments of a couple of giant companies and and that's like that's worse in some ways than than state censorship at least democratic state censorship where you could ask to have the rules change i mean i grew up in canada we have rules about what you can and can't say and we can contest those rules in parliament doesn't always work out well we can go to court over it you know like like the, the rules are at least arrived at through like a democratic and accountable process. This is not that. No, right? this is this arbitrary.
1: Is- and, and it's yeah. not only Facebook, it's Twitter, it's LinkedIn, it's all of these online of services, them. arbitrarily suspending people for something that they posted, even when the meaning of what they posted was totally misconstrued. And on top of that, they give you no recourse. They don't give you yeah. an opportunity. They don't tell you why, what you allegedly did and they don't give you a chance to contest it. So- and, and you know there there are ways
0: that we could address this, and the the Republican answer has been not great, right? The Republican answer is, is quite silly. It's to it's to you know you've seen it in these these silly season bills in Florida and so on to just ban companies from moderating or even mm-hmm. from like having a sort order somehow, like you're not allowed. To, to put some things above other things. I don't know how that works. Do you just have like every tweet is on your screen at once in a blob <laughs> layered on top? Like, I, I don't know how that could possibly work. Well, it's work, Ron but,
1: DeSantis, so he doesn't know either.
0: Right. You know. But if you want to ask yourself, like, why do people care, right? Like, why is it that Gab failed? You know, in addition to its technical problems. okay, It's the same reason that anti-pipeline activists don't leave Facebook, even though they keep getting censored. It's because their communities are there. Right. And it's because the people that they want to join in common cause with are there. And there's an, a word for this from like economics jargon. It's called a network effect. And that's when a, a product or a service gets better, the more people who use it. So like you join Facebook because of the people who are already there. Other people are joining Facebook because you're there. Right. And so that's how firms get very big. But it's not how they stay big. The, the way that they stay big is through making the switching costs very high. So the switching cost <laughs> is another economics term. It's what you have to give up to leave the service. Mm-hmm. Like if you quit Facebook, you leave behind your friends, your community, maybe your customers. It costs you a lot. And normally the way that those switching costs are overcome uh, historically, like with things like MySpace, was just, you know, people just sort of left en masse. But that gets harder the bigger the firm is, the bigger the services. You have to organize this big collective action problem where you have to leave and your friends have to leave and their friends have to leave. You all have to leave and it's just really hard. But there's another way to do this with tech, which is to have interoperability that's right. when one you, service plugs into another service yes.
1: you wrote about and, this today at pluralistic.net and you write about the access act and that w- this right. would fix this yes
0: yeah so that was one of the bills introduced right hmm. so that the access act says that big firms like facebook will have to let new firms plug in um, those could be co-ops or startups or or just tinkerers building a site on their own and there's rules about who can plug into them you know those those companies can't monetize data so they can't be you know in the business of spying on on users uh they have to get consent so if you take your friend's data with you like you think about it like is your friend's message to you is that your data or their data and you've got to, you know there's a consent regime and contemplated by it and so on it it's it's still a little vague but you know that can be firmed up uh in in uh you know further amendments and so on but it it what it has the effect of doing is lowering the switching cost Because what it would mean is that you could quit Facebook, but not quit the people who are left behind. And instead of 3 billion Facebook users being a reason to join Facebook, they'd be a reason to leave it. Because you could still talk to those people without subjecting yourself to the commodification of your relationships that comes from being a Facebook user. So you get the best (laughs) of both worlds. You get all the benefits you get from using Facebook without the problems. And if you don't like their moderation policies, you, can you have can your leave.
1: own. Right. And see, this this is so uh, timely because I've had this conversation with so many people. I'd love to leave Facebook. The thing is, you know what? I lived and worked in Los Angeles for 15 years. It was a big part of my life. And if not for Facebook, I would have no contact with so many wow. people that were... And, and I worked in music radio. So it the work and pleasure combined. So the people yeah. that I worked with were friendly, you know, and so it's the only way I keep in touch with these people. So I am loath to leave for that reason, but I'd love to leave because it's Facebook.
0: It's mutual hostage taking. Yeah. Right. Like Facebook doesn't have users it has hostages, but the person <laughs> who took them hostages are the users themselves. Mm. You're there because your friends are there. Your friends are there because you're there. Right. The problem of organizing everybody leaving for somewhere else is, is insurmountable. And so you're just stuck. So the idea that we could, we could, rather than like try to fix Facebook, like try to find a version of Mark Zuckerberg who's finally qualified to be the conversation czar of 3 billion people right. speaking 1,000 you know, 1, languages in 150 countries, rather than trying to make that happen, maybe what we could do is make it easier for people to go, to, to address the, real, the reason that people stay, um, and we could make Facebook less central. We could make the mistakes that Facebook makes which, you know, any firm is going to make. I've run message boards. We've made moderation mistakes too. Sure. The difference being that my moderation mistakes affect six people or hundred
1: <laughs> right. people, not right. 3 billion
0: people. And so uh, that I think addresses the, the concerns that some of these uh, Republicans are having. And I think there's an opportunity for like something really bipartisan to happen here that, that you know, I'm not saying like, First, they came for the Nazis, and I didn't say anything because I wasn't a Nazi. I'm saying first they came for everybody else—the pipeline activists, the trans activists, and the sex worker advocates, and the the, the Black Lives Matter advocates—and nobody said anything. And finally, they've come for the far right. Like now, right? Maybe now we can have a coalition that can do something, that can actually get something done. And you know, interoperability—it's not perfect; it's not a panacea. But what it does do. Is it cuts the supply lines for big tech because the way that big tech is able to command such enormous sums, right? Facebook and Google collectively have about 80% of the display market ad, uh, uh, display ad market rather. About 50% of every advertising dollar goes straight into their pocket. It's much more expensive to advertise because of them, you know. People talk about Google stealing content from news sites. That's BS, right? That's not <laughs> happening. What is happening is Google is stealing ad dollars. Oh, yes. Right? Like they're oh, they're, they're just they're pocketing really high commissions using these ad markets. You know, this this has come up in in some of the litigation against Google. They run these ad markets where they are the sell side and the buy side. So it's like if, imagine if NASDAQ was run by one of the companies listed on nasdaq (laughs) and it set the terms for buying and selling shares and one of the things it did was actually like mediate between all the companies that do stuff so say it was run by like an an isp and if you wanted to be a high-tech company you had to make the isp happy in order to buy and sell shares right like a marketplace where where the the marketplace maker participates in the marketplace is like a football game where the referee is on one of the
1: teams, (laughs) but
0: they swear blind that their calls will be fair. And we can see from the evidence that the calls aren't fair, right? Like Google and Facebook at one point explicitly colluded to rig these markets. That also came out in some of this antitrust litigation. And so, you know, like if if we want to make these systems fairer, then we have to cut their their supply lines. We have to give them less money to lobby. We have to Mm -hmm. give them less power over our lives. One of the ways we do that is by peeling off their users into rival services that aren't interested in commodifying us, that aren't as kind of vampiric in the way that they relate to the, the supply chains that they're part of, that don't have the market or the political power to abuse the other people in the chain, including customers and suppliers, and that don't have the clout with lawmakers that these big firms have, that, you know, like Facebook can pay the former deputy prime minister of, of the United Kingdom $4 million a year to traipse around the world explaining that Facebook is good for democracy. Oh God. But we need to yeah. cut their supply lines so they can't afford to do that anymore. And when they can't afford to do that anymore, it's going to be harder for them to secure the special privileges. That they have, and it's going to be harder for them to resist more meaningful action like breakups, uh, wind, uh, unwinding their their illicit mergers, blocking their anti-competitive conduct, and so on. It's it's the it's the end of the thread that we can pull on that could unravel the whole sweater.
1: Corey Doctorow on the subject of antitrusts, monopolies, and maybe a cure on the horizon. Back with Corey Doctorow in just a moment. I'm Nicole Sandler, your guest host today on the broadcast.
0: You're listening to The Bradcast. We are 100% listener-supported thanks to listeners like you who stop by bradblog.com slash donate.
1: You're listening to The broadcast. I'm Nicole Sandler, your guest host today, talking with author and activist, I suppose. He's so much more than that, Cory Doctorow. We're talking about the massive executive order that President Joe Biden signed just a couple of weeks ago, encouraging competition and hopefully putting limits on monopolies. This is one of Cory Doctorow's big issues. Let's pick up the conversation here. You said, if I read you correctly, that you got to start with tech, that that's where this has to start. Is that because it's the tentacles reach everywhere?
0: It's It's, I mean, it's for a couple of reasons. So one is that like, the only way like chicken farmers are going to organize to resist Purdue and the other big chicken meat packers is over the internet, right? right? Like they're at farms at the end of lonely country roads, right? right? The only way people who are angry about pharmaceuticals or trucking labor arrangements, like the logistics industry is so dirty and ugly right now. It's it basically makes Uber look like a, a good labor market. Right. <laughs> Truckers on the road need the internet mm-hmm. to organize. Uh, uh, you know, Teamster-style sure. labor activism, right? So we need the internet. We need the internet because these companies are transnational. So we need to make solidarity in other territories with, with other people, you know, and, and learn from them and, and work with them collaboratively. But then there's like a technical reason that we need to, to start with tech or that starting with tech makes sense, which is that tech has this interoperability stuff, Uh right? Like it's it's hard to make physical stuff interoperate. Like sometimes it's easy, like, you know, Nike can't force you to use official Nike shoelaces. You can just put a piece of string in there, right? Right. But like railroads, it's a lot harder. 150 years ago in Australia, they laid six different gauges of rail, one in each state because everybody wanted their own standard. Uh You can't get a piece of rolling stock across the country. Right. They've tried 300 designs over 150 years to try and fix what they call the multi-gauge (laughs) muddle. And the only answer is like tearing up thousands of kilometers of rail track and laying new track. That's not a problem with tech, right? If this were like six different word processor formats you just get some programmers to work on it for a couple of months and they just like make importers for all of them it'd be fine mm-hmm. so we can like facebook has its own gauge of rail and twitter has its own gauge of rail and you know youtube comments have their own gauge of rail and linkedin communities have their own gauge of rail and if they were physically like steel laid across the australian outback we would be so screwed but because they're purely digital we can like we can do something intermediate. We can do something that gives us relief right now, and that um, will make those services far better suited to be the substrate for an activist moment that attacks monopolism in every domain. And you mentioned Biden's EO. Yes. One of the things about that executive order that's super exciting is that it's not just about tech. No, he explicitly makes the connection to like pharma and trucking and all kinds of all industries. All kinds of
1: stuff. Everything. I mean, this is where yeah. I was going to segue to next. So you start with tech, and the, and the the bills that had the markup last week were mostly dealing with tech. But then right. Biden goes into this long seventy-two different provisions in this executive order, everything from Uh, Banning non-compete agreements, which I love because being in radio, I've been subject to them for years, allowing the importation of Canadian drugs, the formation of a public option included in there, right to repair. Honestly, this yeah. was an issue I wasn't even aware of before, but it has impacted me when it comes to like a cell phone that if you take your cell phone to somebody, an independent repair shop, they're going to say, well, your warranty is void. You have to bring it to us to fix it. But it's bigger in agriculture where is a Caterpillar says a tractor. No, to- it, who it's is it? Deer. It's deer. Deer. Deer.
0: Although they're all terrible, but deer is the worst. Deer is like the arch nemesis here.
1: So deer yeah. says you're not allowed to fix your own tractor, you farmer who's worked on your own equipment forever. Because well, like
0: since the first forge <laughs> and the first farm in Neolithic times. <laughs> right, yeah. right. This is big. Yeah. I mean, repair is huge. So repair is, depending on who you ask and how you count, between one and 5% of the US GDP. If you landfill like a ton of e-waste you create like two jobs and if you recycle it you create like 15 jobs and if you repair it you create 150 jobs and they are middle class good stable <laughs> jobs in your community so people it. don't send their phones to china to get them fixed and they certainly don't send their cars to china to get them fixed right so these are local businesses that allow people who don't have a four-year degree who can go who can learn repair uh you know out of high school sure it'll it allows them to uh, create good, stable middle class jobs. It's a it's a path into the middle class like we had after the New Deal, and they do. and And those jobs aren't jobs like coal mining, which are destroying the world. Uh, they're jobs that are saving the world, that divert conflict minerals uh, and e waste from the waste stream, mm-hmm. and that uh, keep plastics out of our landfills and our oceans. And that let your neighbors get more value out of the things that they own and you know you mentioned john deere and the ag uh side of it, it, it they've been our kind of poster child for this uh they went to the copyright office and i believe uh it was either 2015 or 2018 there are hearings at, at the copyright office on this every three years uh so it was either the 15 or the 18 hearings they went and they said um you don't own your tractor you think you own your tractor but you don't own your tractor because your tractor without its software is just a hunk of steel and the software was never sold to you. It's a copyrighted oh. work. It's licensed oh to you. God. And we've licensed it to you on the terms that say you're not allowed to fix your tractor. And here's the crazy thing. Farmers actually do fix their tractors under the scheme. So you, you have the diagnostic tool on your dashboard. It tells you what part is broken. You replace the part. What John Deere does is it locks your tractor up after you replace the part until you've paid $170 and waited for a technician to come out and quote inspect your repair and type an unlock code into the console, and and that's what they're charging you for. So it's not even the right to repair; it's the right to be shaken down. Right. Right. It's I, it, so it's not just Deere.
1: No, it's uh, there were <laughs>
0: there were right to. Rep- There were right to repair bills introduced in, I believe, 18 legislatures in 2018. Uh, And they're now more than half the legislatures in the US have right to repair bills in front of them for 2021. All of them were defeated in 2018 by a coalition that was led by Apple, but included Google but also wall, the people who make the shavers. Uh-huh. Um, I have a wall shaver and, and I, it got dull and I ordered a, a sharpening stone and I took it apart and it went sprung and the screws flew all over the place. And there was, a, there was a spring in it. It was just crazy. And I called them up and they were like, that is not a user sharpenable shaver. You have to buy a new <laughs> blade for it. Um, so wall was a part of this. Wall said, if you let people repair their shavers, they will explode and blow their heads off. Uh, GM was a part of this. GM also told the Copyright Office, you don't own your car. They said that oh, uh, your, your car software belongs to GM. It can't be sold. It's only licensed. And the licensing terms prohibit you fixing your own car. Every class of goods is in on this. And it isn't just about extracting money from you for the repair, although that's a big part of it. It's also making sure that you only buy original non-refurbished parts. right? And, and that from there are them. parts intended for for, for domestic consumption. So like Apple blocks Apple parts being shipped from other parts of the world at the border as trademark violations. Uh-huh. They print tiny little microscopic apples on parts that are never shown so that they can use trademark law to block these at the border so that refurbishers can't get access to them because they only sell uh parts to people who opt into their uh authorized service program and so if you just want to be an independent iphone repairer you have to get your parts from somewhere else and they block their own parts as counterfeit so they can charge you extra for parts and of course automakers would love to do this you know i grew up in ontario we not only had a big Rust Belt that was making cars, but next to all of those car factories were factories that were making replacement parts that weren't GM or Ford parts, they right. were independent parts. People became billionaires off of these things, uh, often terrible people, but you know that doesn't mean that their parts were bad. And so they can force you to buy their own parts. And then here's the really insidious thing. They can decide when your device is no longer eligible to be repaired because they can say oh, I'm sorry we no longer carry parts. We don't fix devices Right, we don't drivers.
1: support that anymore. Take parts
0: for them. Right, right? Yeah. And so and and you know, hey, we'll give you um $200 towards the price to a, to a trade-in, towards yep. the price of a new right. device. So this is just a way of like trashing our planet and our future while picking our pockets if you buy Nvidia's little um, chrome stick that you you plug into your com- your TV that lets you stream video right you know you pay a premium it's their, their high-end 4k version for it and starting last week they started plastering more than half your screen with ads
1: oh. Oh and there's my. no way to
0: update it there's no way to change it because it's got these software locks it's illegal to break the software locks no one's allowed to do third-party service on them you're paying for the product and you're the product. The thing that determines whether you're going to be the product is not whether you pay or you don't pay. It's whether the company is afraid that they'll get in trouble, that they'll lose your business, that they'll get hit with a lawsuit, that there'll be some government enforcement if they treat you as the product. And if they if they have something to fear, they'll respect you. And if they know you have nowhere to go and you're locked in, there's no reason they're going to treat you well. Why right. would they?
1: Right, right. In the legislation that's working its way through Congress and in Joe Biden's executive order, is any of this addressed?
0: It is. So the right to repair stuff's really interesting because the, the first cut of the right to repair that kind of leaked out a couple of days ahead of time was just for ag, It's just for farm equipment. And there was a lot of concern about that. Like on the one hand, it's a great win. But on the other hand, Farmers are incredibly well-organized. Like, you ever hear of a little thing called the Farm Bill? <laughs> you know, they're really good at getting stuff done in D.C. Mm-hmm. And the the idea that farmers would be peeled off of the wider right to repair fight was really scary because it would probably doom the rest of the fight to many more years of fighting. And it's been united. So this right to repair bill is going to go a long way. The other thing that happened, you remember I said that the FTC a couple of decades ago sat down and voted not to use its enforcement powers anymore? Yes. First order of business for Lena Kahn was to sit down and vote to give him back.
1: Right. And you should
0: have heard the howls from, you know, Chicago School Economist, uh, the son of Robert Bork, who is the <laughs> architect of modern monopoly theory, uh, uh-huh. Robert Bork Jr. just went on a tear, going like, how dare they, you know, don't they understand that it's like universally accepted wisdom that my dad was super smart and everything he said was right. <laughs> and the fact that we are now living in a world with like, you know, five publishers and four talent agencies and three record labels and two uh, radio uh, companies, giant, uh, <laughs> studios and and one you know massive theater chain. Yeah, that that's fine. That's that's like all working by design. You know, the world doesn't need more than one company that makes eyeglasses. The fact that Luxotica <laughs> owns every eyeglass brand and the largest lens maker and you know every high street retail eye, eyewear store you've ever heard of, that's fine. It's right. fine. And the fact right. that prices went up. At thousand percent over the last decade. It it has nothing to do with my dad's theories that let one company corner the market on your right to see stuff.
1: Right. You know, and the fact that we can get um, reading glasses in the drugstore for 510 bucks. This grew out of legislation and I think it led to the provision that Joe Biden mentioned the other day about hearing aids that yeah. you, you know I guess now and my my hearing shot from so many years you know, doing radio with very loud headphones on my. I was head. a
0: Walkman kid, so I'm just a few uh-huh, years behind. Right,
1: but it's thousands of dollars for hearing aids. But yeah. he said, with this, you can go in the drugstore instead of six thousand. It'll cost you a couple hundred. Um yeah. that's a big deal. Yeah, I mean,
0: all of this stuff is a right to big deal. Is a big deal. You know, you hear about people whose powered wheelchairs need service, uh-huh. and you can only get official service, and they just can't go anywhere for days or weeks. I have a longtime correspondent, a uh, person who started writing me emails more than a decade ago, and he's a banjo player, and he's deaf, uh, and he wow. teaches banjo, and he does these Creative Commons licensed banjo seminars, and then he people come to him, and he teaches them, and his hearing has been getting worse and worse, and he's had cochlear implants, and the cochlear implants died. Uh they, they just they had us this software crashed. And he spent months and then and and then years trying to get the company to update the software and they just wouldn't do it. They wouldn't acknowledge that there was a problem. He couldn't take it to anyone else. And he sent me an email. It's got a happy ending because he finally they finally came around, but he sent me an email at the start of the pandemic saying, I'm just hanging up my banjo. I'm gonna be deaf for the rest of my life. Oh my I'm, god. I'm, I'm I'm removing the external portion of my cochlear implants. I have given up on hearing. I just can't do this anymore. Finally, they fix it, right? But, you know, the the idea that you can't get something fixed, especially medical devices, is really important. And, you know, one of the things that the other side always says when it comes to medical devices or medical equipment like like, uh, ventilators Mm -hmm. is if you let third parties fix your stuff, they might do something wrong that could hurt you. Fair enough, right? But you know what? It turns out that if you let the manufacturer fix it,
1: they can do They things can also wrong.
0: screw it up yeah, and hurt absolutely. you. Medtronics, which is the largest medical implant vendor in the world that uh, did a reverse merger so that it, it basically uh, bought an Irish company that became its parent company so that it could be in a tax-free environment. Uh, the, lar- the largest one of these tax inversions in the history of the world. They have unbelievably bad cybersecurity track records. Like their pacemakers could be reprogrammed at 10 feet wirelessly to kill you and the idea that medtronic is out there saying well if you let third parties make pacemaker software or repair pacemakers or you know do any kind of work on them you could get really badly hurt would be a lot more credible if letting them do it didn't put you at mortal peril and you know ultimately if we want companies to do good service, we should just have consumer protection laws that punish companies that do bad service, whether it's the manufacturer or a third party.
1: Right. You know, we, we have the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. Elizabeth Warren was a big part of that. But it's been toothless since it's formed. Uh, Obama didn't put her on there and all kinds of politics got in the way. And then, of course, Trump came in and wanted to just, you know, defang it. anyway. Well, and,
0: and in between there, their handpicked guy who was guaranteed a 10 year seat decided he was going to go do a failed bid for oh, Richard
1: Cordray. Right. And, yeah. and
0: I think wasn't it Steve Mnuchin who became the director for a while? Probably. CFPB? Like talk Probably. about talk about foxes in the henhouse. Right. No kidding. So, yeah, it's it's. Uh, I mean, CFP, so they're, they're, it looks like Chopra is going to run CFPB. And Which again, will be great. Yeah, he's he got stuff done. He got stuff done at the FTC. It, it, you know, when I was not even contemplating the possibility that Lena Khan could run the FTC, <laughs> I was very excited about Chopra running the FTC. Uh, I don't know who they're going to get to fill a seat. That that seat will require Senate confirmation at the FTC. But, you know, while they have a quorum at the FTC before he leaves, they're getting a lot of stuff done.
1: Good. Well, Well. and, and another one of the provisions uh, from the, the 72 that Joe Biden has in this executive order, what makes it easier for people to get refunds from airlines, not only yeah. for flight issues, but the in-flight Wi-Fi when it screws yeah. up. And I mean, <laughs> you know, for once, it seems like finally at least somebody's paying lip service to giving the consumer a fair shake, whether it happens or not is a, is another thing. But, um, but, but the other part of it, he is he created a council to oversee yeah. these things to make sure like that, that it's not just an executive order going out into the ether. People are now responsible to ride yeah. herd over these things to make sure they get done. It's pretty amazing. And you know, like if, if this
0: were Trump administration, where you either had agency people who Trump hadn't appointed, who were, ran counter to his agenda, or people who were just kind of self-interested grifters who were clearly like, you know, just, just wanted to like rake up money and stick it in their pocket and split, I, I would be a little skeptical of, mm-hmm. of what an EO could do. But, you know, when you have the actual agency heads saying, this is the, this is the, the marching orders I always wanted yeah you know yeah that feels like uh, you know that the eo it's, it's not just symbolic like it it could get stuff done i'm sure a lot of people watching listening to this are like eh, i've run out of hope yeah you know
1: but this was the most hopeful thing we've seen in a long it's time amazing. right it really is like i feel
0: i feel like i'm jinxing it like like i'm cursing it by saying that but you know i i um like a lot of people, I read Neil Postman's Amusing Ourselves to Death, that book about media criticism. And a lot of it is about the Lincoln-Douglas debates and just how sober the Lincoln-Douglas debates were and how long they were and how Americans had these incredible attention spans. And I didn't know much about them. as a Canadian. We didn't get American <laughs> history. But then the BBC put out a 16-hour recording of the Lincoln-Douglas debate. So I listened to it. Lincoln was kind of a dick. Was he? <laughs> he didn't like Black people. Oh. Lincoln oh. thought Black people couldn't self-govern he wow. was not an abolitionist no that was. Lincoln a- became an abolitionist because the electorate pushed him into it right not because of his his conviction uh he had some convictions for sure but Lincoln was not a fire-breathing racial equality advocate he was um middling middle of the road compromise oriented uh you know um uh, a st- not establishment, but like not a not a radical change candidate. That's not what he ran on, right but it's what he became. And you know th- I, I've always been skeptical of the great man theory of history. I don't like cults of personality, mm-hmm. um, but if it's not the great man, then what is it? What are the forces that bear down on the moment? I think it's us, right? like I think it's 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 people claiming the moment, and you know, hearing Jim Jordan stand up and say dumb things about tech, (laughs) it makes my eyes bleed. Sure. Right. But the fact that Jim Jordan and Matt Gaetz and Pramila Jayapal are all there diagnosing in some way or another, a serious rot in this industry that I've been campaigning on for 20 years. And that like, none of them are, I mean, I I disagree with all of them, Jayapal the least, obviously, but I think that all of them are right about at least some of it. Mm-hmm. And, and the reason that this has become central enough that they're willing to stand up and make a big deal out of it is is not because they themselves are fed up. I think it's because we, the electorate, have made this political moment happen and we have the chance to carry it forward, to give it real momentum, to make new stuff happen.
1: To make new stuff happen. There's the rub. All right, we'll take one more quick timeout. Come back on the other side and wrap up this fascinating conversation with author and antitrust expert activist Corey Doctorow. I'm Nicole Sandler, your guest host today on the broadcast. You're listening to the broadcast. We are 100% listener supported. Thanks to listeners like you who drop by BradBlog.com/slash/donate. It's Nicole Sandler filling in today for Brad and Desi on the Bradcast. We're in the middle of a conversation I had last week with author, journalist, and copyright and antitrust activist Corey Doctorow. If you're not familiar with him, you should be. He's one of those fascinating people whose work spans a lot of different areas. He's published a slew of books across different categories, science fiction and young adult novels to nonfiction books, some dealing with today's topic as well. You can get info on his background, his bio, the books at CrapHound.com. He blogs daily at Pluralistic.net. You can also subscribe to that content in his daily Substack newsletter and follow Cory Doctoro on Twitter at Doctorow. We were talking about President Biden issuing this executive order, which is huge. It's a big deal. But I was kind of surprised that they did it on a Friday afternoon. That's the time usually reserved for the news dump, for stories that they really don't want the press to dwell on. This news broke on a Friday afternoon. You know, that's where they put the graveyard of news announcements, the Friday afternoon news dump, why he chose to do this on a Friday afternoon – I don't know. But I'm watching the Sunday shows yesterday thinking that they're gonna talk about this is gonna be a big story. And I'm like, Where is everyone? Where's the the euphoria that I'm feeling? Why isn't the news media talking about what a big deal this is? I I don't get it. You're doing your bit here, right? Here we are. Yes, here we are. Yeah. And you know, I also
0: think that like so I've been in media a long time too, and sometimes when it's a story that you just don't understand. (laughs) <laughs> right like so no, it's, anti-trust it's like complicated,
1: the that, so it's complicated. Yeah, and, we won't talk about and it
0: reagan era antitrust robert bork senior like his big innovation was to say that you could only measure monopolies using these very complicated mathematical mathematical models that the uh chicago school you know the, the people who like helped pinochet murder forty thousand people the chicago school economists knew how to construct and no one else knew how to construct or interpret and they they explicitly wanted to take Antitrust and anti-monopoly enforcement away from something that that dealt with the with your day-to-day life, right? Like what working conditions you lived under, whether your water or air were poisoned, you know, what what not just your the prices you paid, but whether you trusted your politicians or you thought they were in the pocket of a concentrated industry, right? All of that stuff was ripped out of it. And instead, the only way you could talk about whether monopoly was good or bad was to use this complicated math that nobody understood that referred to concepts that nobody understood that uh-huh. was just steeped in jargon. And so if you're a lay reporter or general reporter or even a politics reporter, and someone comes along and they say like, look, there's this controversy and it's about like, I don't know, like the the, the Fermi paradox or the Higgs boson or okay. something. And you know, it's like, it's a big deal. The president just put out an EO about the Higgs boson. and And like, it's gonna be really important like I could see how you might go like, yeah, you know, this sounds like a thing that a bunch of eggheads might right. care about, but right. like uh, no one who watches will uh, cares. And I don't understand it well enough to make them care. Maybe they'll, maybe they will catch up with us, right? Maybe this subject that has been at the periphery deliberately out of our, out of our reach where we've been told that we're just not smart enough to talk about it. Stay in your lane. This is not something for, for you, the average person right. to consider right. yourself with maybe as we move it into this and one of the things that's in biden's eo is a repudiation of borkism it just says like actually the reason we care about monopolies is we care about harmful dominance not just consumer welfare not just where the prices go up but whether our political landscape is dominated by a handful of industrial billionaires mm-hmm. whether our job market is being crushed by uh, monopolistic firms, whether suppliers are being destroyed by dominant sellers, what's called monopsony, like Walmart, monopsony, where if you right. sell into Walmart, they, they ruin your business with these onerous conditions because they've got the only access to in-person retail for wide swaths of the country. Amazon does the same thing for e-commerce. Sure. you know, And, and Biden said, we are, we are explicitly no longer a nation That only cares about antitrust when it comes to consumer welfare. We care about the whole package. And this is wild. And it's gonna be wild around the world because you know, this is that's the black letter law in the European Union. The European Union law says we only care about we care about monopolies for all of the reasons encompassed by harmful dominance and not because of consumer welfare. And yet every time there's antitrust enforcement or anti-monopoly enforcement in Europe, they talk about their antitrust laws as though they were consumer welfare laws. Hmm. Like they've been so steeped in the orthodoxy that they can't escape it. And if they can just get out of this like mind palace that they've been imprisoned in, their actual laws already give them the power to enforce on the basis of harmful dominance and not consumer welfare. So, you know, we poison their minds, right? European antitrust is a, a, it was created in them with a Marshall plan, right? It was like it was reconstruction stuff. We built it. We originally built it on Rooseveltian lines around harmful dominance. Then we poisoned it as we poisoned our own. Now, as we free ourselves from from this ideological virus that Robert Bork infected us with, Maybe they'll be able to break free too. Maybe without us kind of continuing to push them into ignoring what their laws say mm-hmm. and acting as though our laws were their laws. Maybe they'll finally be able to to actually cope with this.
1: Yeah, it may be. And you, but you hit on something else. I mean, I listened to Joe Biden's speech on Friday when he announced this executive order, and I read the highlights and that stuff. But what he said was, this was a forty-year failure it was it failed horribly and the people yeah. that lost were you i mean he didn't say those exact words but that's what he was saying this is that i mean i got goosebumps because yeah you you don't hear and and i certainly didn't expect it from joe biden of all people uh, you know i'm pleasantly surprised and and yeah. uh, you know as much as i want to criticize some other aspects i'm i'm wanting to cut him some slack now and say we need yeah. to all get on this and make sure sh- and elevate it so everyone knows what we're talking about and i get it you know the the lowest common denominator for cable news they just go for the lo- you know what what the sure. masses can understand we can understand the right to repair we can understand yeah. the right to get a refund from the airlines when they screw us over we can understand the right to take your phone to another carrier or to not have a no compete clause i mean all this yeah. stuff and I, I mean, want
0: non-compete clauses. The leading users of non-compete clauses are fast food restaurants. That's insane. So that one McDonald's franchisee won't poach the other one's manager and give her a dollar extra an hour. Ugh,
1: that's sickening. Right.
0: Can you imagine being locked out of working in restaurants for three years because you are a management trainee at a McDonald's? No. I mean it's 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 brutal. Yeah, th- this this I, I know we're not, the the public has not yet figured this out. And like I said at the start, I, I think the reason the public hasn't figured this out yet is they haven't made these connections. Mm-hmm. They haven't connected big tech with antitrust. They haven't right. connected big finance with antitrust. They haven't connected um, postmates with antitrust, <laughs> uh-huh. you know, and the destruction of their local restaurants. You know, all this predatory conduct is the result of monopolism. You know, that the, the Pro, uh, the private equity mergers are mergers that are only permitted because we're not enforcing antitrust law. We're not enforcing the prohibition on predatory mergers, on anti-competitive mergers. So, you know, people are angry about private equity. It's not like there's, there's no one out there in America in the heartland going like, when I grow up, I hope I, hope I get to work in private equity. Because uh, as far as I can tell, it's an honest and upright <laughs> profession that's just building this country up. You know, people, people hate those people. They just know that those people are terrible, right? Um, but what they don't know is that the thing that makes them terrible, the thing that lets them be terrible, is forbearance on, on anti-monopoly law. And that's what makes this stuff really powerful. It's a big, deep structural shift in the way that industry, government, and the pu- public will relate to one another. And it puts the government and the public in this on the same side mm-hmm. in guarding against industrial overreach. And it's been the government and industry on the same side guarding against yes. public uh, benefit. Right. And, and it's hugely transformative. Whether or not he'll make it happen, I think, depends on what we do. But if there was ever a moment for it, this is it.
1: This is it. And there's already been, look, it's only been, today's the first business day since the announcement, sure. and already big industry is pushing back. Big push back yeah. from the big corporations, the monopolies who like things just the way they are. Thank you very much.
0: Totally. Well, and you know, the Sunday shows might not have covered it, but the financial press had the stock charts of the uh, hearing aid monopolist, <laughs> which looked like, you know, an avalanche in, in the Alps, you know.
1: Wow. Uh, it was, it,
0: you know, investors know why they're invested in monopolies. Mm -hmm. right they're not invested in them because they make the best products or because people love what they sell they're invested in them because they have no competition right (laughs) and as soon as you say hey you know what like you're gonna have to let other people fix your stuff or sell your stuff or whatever you know investors get out
1: right now now still with all this stuff and this is a sea change and there's a ton of of stuff here um i think there's still no um motion when it comes to uh, the Telecommunications Act, the Digital Millennium Copyright Act, uh, digital yeah. rights management, things like that. This is still an area that needs to be fixed. Yes, hundred
0: percent. There's a net neutrality order in Biden's yes, order, there which is. is good. Yeah, it's nice to see that coming back. But yeah, there's there's the um, copyright reform isn't in there uh anti-circumvention reform and these are these are powerful anti-competitive weapons you know so you mentioned the dmca the digital Millennium copyright act clinton signed it into law in in 98 and it's a law that has many provisions but one says that you're not allowed to tamper with or remove a digital lock even for a legal purpose and that means that like if there's a lock that prevents you from swapping the screen on your iphone and you put a new screen in, you can't bypass the lock. Um, now we might make a law that forces Apple to bypass the lock. That's how the right to repair bills do it, okay. right? Is they just force Apple to bypass the lock for you, but you know, it would be much better if, in addition to that, we just had the right to like bypass the locks on our own <laughs> things, the things yes. we own that we bought, you know, that so that we could rather than, say, waiting for the FTC to smack NVIDIA for, for poisoning its little uh, video dongles and putting ads all over our screens, we just break the bootloader and put an alternative version of Android that wasn't covered in ads on it. Right. right? Not only would that be a great adjunct to FTC enforcement, it might actually stay the hand of NVIDIA because like, the reason NVIDIA did this is they know they can get away with it. Yeah, Even if can. there's enforcement against them, it'll be years from now. It'll be a long process. If like Nvidia doing that immediately triggered someone investing in a small business whose job it is to make alternative Nvidia firmware mm-hmm. and sell it to people and, and show them how to install it on their Nvidia sticks so they don't have to see ads anymore. Why would Nvidia do that? They know that they would immediately be checked by it and that it would just make them peripheral to people's use of Nvidia's and that now people would have another channel they got their Nvidia software from and so right. on.
1: His name is Cory Doctorow. You can follow him on Twitter at Doctorow. You can find his website website, CrapHound.com, or his blog at Pluralistic.net. And the more you read him, the more you learn. The guy's pretty fascinating. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did and are as excited about the possibilities of finally enforcing our antitrust laws. You know, putting the little guy first? What a concept. And with that, we are done. Thank you for joining me. Brad and Desi will be back. For the next episode of the broadcast, until then, I'm Nicole Sandler of NicoleSandler.com wishing us all good luck, world. We really need it.